Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. So good to have you here. Kicking off this brand new series today that we're really excited about. But let me go ahead and welcome all those who are joining us, The Crossing Midtown, The Crossing West Henderson, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we just give them a great big welcome right now? We love you guys. Glad you're part of The Crossing family with us. Well, have you ever taken a peek into somebody's diary or journal. Maybe you had an older sister and you snuck into her room and you begin to read all of her secret thoughts. You knew that it was wrong, but you just couldn't stop reading all of the stuff. Or maybe you're a mom and you've done the same thing with your daughter because you just want to know what's going on in her life. She never talks to you, so you're just trying to make sure that she is okay. See, whenever you read someone's journal, you are getting a glimpse of their raw emotions, their personal thoughts. Well, the Bible actually contains a journal of a wealthy and powerful king, and it's filled with lessons that he learned the hard way. And it's written by Solomon. Solomon is the third king of Israel, and he becomes the richest, wisest, most powerful man in the world. But along the way, he makes some tragic mistakes. And in his journal, we call it Ecclesiastes, he writes about his mistakes, he writes about his wanderings from God. And over the next six weeks, we're going to take a peek into his diary. And we're calling this series Chasing the Wind. This is a phrase that he will use over and over to describe chasing after things that do not matter. Chasing after the wrong things. And he's going to tell us, don't make the same mistakes that I made. Now Solomon, he ended up writing over 3,000 proverbs, he wrote over 1,000 songs, and he undertook massive building projects, one of them being the temple, which he took seven years to build. And get this, he had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. I don't even know how you keep track of that. I mean, Valentine's Day would be a nightmare in the palace. He denied himself nothing his heart desired. Think of it this way. If you took Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, and Hugh Hefner and somehow could fuse them together in one man, that's our boy Solomon. If there is anyone in history who had the time and resources to find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose, it's this guy. Now, he's the son of King David, and his mother is Bathsheba. Maybe you remember about the affair that David had with Bathsheba. Well, that child that was born out of their affair died, and Solomon is their second child. And most scholars believe that he was no older than 25 years old when he becomes the king of Israel. And he loved God like his father David did. God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says to Solomon, I will give you whatever you ask for. Now think about that. What would you ask for if God asked you the same thing? Solomon could have asked for power or money or fame or fortune. He could have even asked for the cowboys to have a winning season. But instead, instead he asked for wisdom. And God was so impressed with his answer that he gave him all of the things that he didn't ask for. He gave him money and power and fame. 
And a few days after this dream, Solomon is in the palace. And there is two women who walk into the palace, and they are both new mothers. But one of their babies has died. And they are both claiming that the baby that is living is theirs. Now, there's no 23andMe where you can send in your DNA for testing to find out who the real mother is. And so Solomon says, bring me a sword. And he gave the order to cut the baby in half and to give one half to each mother. And the first woman says, please don't harm the baby. Give the baby to the other mother. Give the baby to the other woman. And the second woman says, if I can't have him, nobody should have him. Cut him in half. And Solomon says, give the baby to the first woman. She is the real mother. And everyone is blown away at his wisdom, how he was able to figure this out. Kings and queens traveled from all over the world to hear his wisdom. They came from all kinds of places just to sit and hear about his knowledge and his learnings. But it is one thing to have wisdom, and it is quite another to apply that wisdom to your life. And when Solomon decided to stop trusting the wisdom of God, that is when his life begins to spiral out of control. And this is the way that he starts his journal. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, this is quite a way to start off his book. I mean, I don't know if you need a motivational speaker for your next gathering, but he might be available. He actually uses this word meaningless 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's the thing is that this Hebrew word does not really have an English equivalent. So it's hard for us to really comprehend what he's saying. So let me show you the Hebrew word that actually is translated as meaningless. It's this word havel, havel. And what it means is breath, vapor, or puff of smoke. And the idea is that life is a vapor. When he says it's just a vapor, it's a vapor, think of it this way. When you're outside and it's cold outside and you can see your breath, you can see it for a minute and then it's gone. That's the idea of this word, that it's there in a moment and then it's gone. He says that's what life is like. And The reason that he's going to use this over and over again, it's to get our attention. But don't misunderstand what he's saying. When Solomon says that life is meaningless, that does not mean that life has no purpose. Because that would go against the conclusion that he's going to make throughout the book. He's not saying this to lead us to despair. He's saying this to give us a perspective of life. And he goes on and he says, What do people gain for all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now, you probably heard this this term before, under the sun. Well, this came from Solomon 3,000 years ago. And he will actually use this term right here 29 times throughout the book. It's his way of saying, in all of your activities, in all of your life, everything that goes on in this earth. And he'll go on and he'll say this. He says, generations come. And generations go, but the earth remains forever. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. 
He talks about these generations. He says generations come and generations go. Here's the thing about generations is every generation thinks that they are unique. They think that the older generation is out of date and out of touch and that they now have it all figured out. Now, just to kind of understand what a generation is, a generation is nothing more than those of a similar age and a similar experience. And there's been extensive research on what is called the generational theory. I was actually studying this this week. And the generational theory is this, is that there are four generational types that just cycle from one to another. This goes back 500 years in this study, that you have the civic generation that then gives into the adaptive generation, is then followed by the idealist generation, that's then followed by this generation of awakening, and then the cycle repeats itself again. They have taken this all the way back to the 1500s to see this cycle that happens. See, a generational type, it is your formative years. It's when you were born. It's when you come of age. And this shared experience, it shapes what every generation adapts to, what they become. So let me show you this chart. This chart actually takes the generations back to the, to the 1900s. And this first generation is now called the GI generation. There's different names that have been given, but these are pretty much the assumed names of today. And the GI generation happened during an era of unraveling. Because this is the First World War, that there is war going on, there's all of this uncertainty that's going on around the world. And this generation becomes the civic generation, that they are very civic-minded, that out of many of them, this is the, what we call the greatest generation. It leads into the next generation, which some call the silent generation. This generation was born in crisis. They were born during the, the Great Depression. They were born during World War II. And so they become adaptive to what's going on. They adapt to not having any food. They adapt to these long bread lines of the Great Depression. They adapt to this war that overtakes and all of these young men are drafted. Well, this leads into this next generation, the boomer generation. There's probably a lot of boomers that are here, um, right here today. And this generation right here was born into peacetime and prosperity. And so they become idealists. You know, this is why it's just peace and love. You know, that's what the boomer generation was in their younger years. It's just, just all peace and love because it's, it's the idealism. that We can do this. Well, then that's followed by the Gen X generation. This is my generation. Any other Gen Xers here? Okay, there's a few of you who would clap your hands and admit that you're part of my generation. Well, this generation, they become reactive because there's awakening to what has happened the generation before. Here's what's interesting. The millennial generation, um, 1981 to 1996, that, uh, that for them, they are the first global generation. This is the first generation that has grown up with cell phones and internet, that they have always had this. This generation right here, Generation Z, they were born during crisis. Think about this. They were born um, during 9-11, which happened in 2001, and then the terrorism that has happened in our world since then. So they are born in crisis, and they become an adaptive generation. And you see this cycle happen again, again, and again. It just repeats itself. And while every generation thinks that they are unique and superior, Solomon tells us 3,000 years ago, it's all been done before, and it's all going to be done again. Solomon is taking us on this journey. 
He's saying, I'm going to awaken your senses to teach you what you cannot see at this point in your life. Because every generation, they're blinded by what has happened before them and what's going to happen after them. He says, so I'm going to tell you what you don't know about this point in your life. And he says, here is my life experience. That I had the resources to pursue where I could find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. And the first stop on this journey, it's knowledge. It's knowledge. Here's what he says. He said, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. When Solomon becomes king and God told him, he says, I will give you a wise and discerning heart such as that no one before you or after you will be able to compare to you. In other words, no one can rival the knowledge and the intellect of Solomon. He wins jeopardy every time. He is the valedictorian of every class. He's the smartest person in every room. Now, there's a lot of smart people who are listening to me right now. I mean, there's people, you've got letters after your names. You've got degrees that hang on your wall. That this room is full of smart people. But you will never be as smart as Solomon. Solomon says, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Solomon says, I had all of the wisdom. So he doubles down and he chases after more wisdom, after more knowledge, because he thinks that's where life is going to be found. He thinks that through his learning, that he's going to find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. And his conclusion, it's a chasing after the wind. Here's why. Information never guarantees transformation. Information never guarantees transformation. Knowledge rarely has the power to change the human heart. Just because you know something does not mean it will change the way that you're living. See, we all know things that we never do. We all know that you shouldn't text and drive, but many of us still do. We all know that you should save for the future, but that does not necessarily mean that we are. We all know some things. But knowledge in and of itself does not necessarily change anything. And that's the conclusion that Solomon comes to. He says, I tried it. It didn't work. So he says, let me try something else in my life experiment. What if I can find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in pleasure? And then his story begins to read like some of your freshman year in college. I mean, he just tries everything. And here's what he says. He says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And he begins to chase after wine, women, the finest food. Now, this is not just wine tasting in Napa Valley. This is I've decided to get hammered to throw a party and go clubbing in the palace. Because what happens in the palace stays in the palace. But not so much for him. Some scholars believe 
that he had between 15 and 20,000 people partying in the palace on a daily basis. And here's his conclusion. But that also proved to be meaningless. That also proved to be meaningless. In other words, he got tired of waking up in the back of a chariot next to another stranger with a hangover and another bad tattoo. (laughs) He said, it just left me empty. Some of you can relate to Solomon because this really does describe your life. There is a season of your life where you went chasing after all kinds of things that you thought would bring you pleasure, that you thought would make you happy. And what it did is it brought you regrets and addictions. And so now looking back at it, you look back at all of these things that you've done and you wish you could undo them. You wish you didn't have these regrets. You wish you didn't have that kind of past. It is what brought many of you back to church again. Because you had to finally begin to find meaning in your life because you couldn't find it chasing after all of those things. Solomon says that in his pursuit of meaning, fulfillment, and purpose, that pleasure didn't do it. So he thinks, well, maybe success will. And he becomes a workaholic. He says this. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. That you can actually still find some of Solomon's reservoirs and buildings 3,000 years later. You can find them today. Solomon says, I decided to hire extreme home makeover, fixer-upper, and property brothers all at once. I told them not only to take out that wall, but just keep building and building and building. Think about this. It took Solomon seven years to build this great temple to God in Jerusalem, but he took 13 years building his own palace. See, perhaps this is where you've tried to find meaning in your life. You thought, if I can just be a little bit more successful, and it's turned you into this workaholic that your life has revolved around that, and you've told yourself, I just need to put in a few more hours to be successful. And you've been telling your family for years, I'll stop working so much as soon as I get through this season. And then this season leads to another season, which leads to another season, and then to another season. And Solomon says, he says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. His life experience His life experiment left him empty. See, you and I, we may not have the same position or platform or resources that Solomon had, but our desire to find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose, it is the same. And whatever it is that you find yourself chasing after, it's not going to bring fulfillment. Whatever it is. Here's what you need to understand. The desire is not bad. 
It comes from God. God planted that desire for more in you. The question is, where are you going to find it? For some of you, you find yourself just restless and bored in your life right now. And you have all kinds of things in your life. But you're just bored. And you think, maybe I just need to buy something shiny and new. And for some of you guys, you're the ones who stop by the car lot because you just want to take a peek at that new car and you end up driving it away an hour later. And then you got to tell your wife that you just bought a new car. I'm just going to buy something shiny and new. Or you think, I just need to get a fix. Chasing after whatever it is that promises something and never fulfills. I was talking to a friend of mine who went out to lunch with a billionaire friend of his. And I said, billionaire with a B. And he was sitting with his billionaire friend, and his friend told him, he goes, I'm bored. Because I never thought that I would be bored after achieving all of this. I'm bored. Everybody else, their life is just moving forward. It's moving ahead. And here I am. I'm bored. Because I thought this was the destination. And then I finally get there, and it's not what I was looking for. So how would you finish this sentence right here? When blank happens, then my life will be better. When blank happens, then I'll be happy. Now, there's... There's no wrong answers here. These are just honest answers. Maybe you say, when I graduate, then I'll finally be able to enjoy life. When I get that promotion, when I get that new car, when I move into that house, when I go on that date, when I get married, when I get unmarried, then finally life will be better. (laughs) And all of those things, they might be great things, but they will not ultimately satisfy you. And you know the reason that I know that? It's because of two words. Because whenever we get whatever we think is going to make our life better, we ask these words right here, now what? Now what? I finally caught up to that thing that I was chasing after, now what? I finally got the girl of my dreams, now what? I finally got that job, I finally got that promotion, now what? I finally bought that house, I went on the trip of a lifetime, Now what? Because we're chasing after this happiness that just begins to elude us. Research has shown that happy single people who get married are happy married people. And unhappy single people who get married are unhappy married people. Happiness comes from a different place. And the answer is not just suppress all of your desires. The answer is not, well, you need to feel bad for all of that stuff. Because that's the church experience some of you had as, as a kid or growing up. Well, you just feel bad for that. You better repent of that. But that's not the conclusion that Solomon comes to. His conclusion actually might surprise you. Here's what Solomon concludes. He said, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Here's what he's saying. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to achieve and to enjoy your achievement. That's a good thing. But look what he says. He goes, this too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? And that is the key. That without God, all of the other stuff is meaningless. Without God, that stuff means nothing. 
See, seeking knowledge, enjoying life, finding satisfaction in your work can all be good things. God created them. God created you to enjoy those things. But they shouldn't be the ultimate thing. When you try to find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in them, they will always disappear like a vapor. Chasing after those things is like chasing the wind. You will never catch it. And here's the key. Here's our key learning from Solomon. It's this, that the only way to find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose is to chase after the author of meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. When you choose to chase after the author of those things, that's when you find it. See, happy people don't chase after happiness. Happy people chase after God, and happiness catches them. I was reading a book this week by Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a book called The Law of Happiness. And here's what he says. He says, when we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we are ignoring the ones that do. When we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we are ignoring the things that have the power to make us happy. See, happy people don't chase after happiness. They chase after God, and happiness catches them. Solomon is not trying to lead us into despair. He's trying to help you to see beyond the sun, the S-U-N. Instead of chasing whatever it is that you've been chasing, it's to begin to live with an eternal perspective, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, is living with this eternal perspective. To, to recognize that there is a God beyond the S-U-N who sent his S-O-N down under the sun to give us meaning and purpose and to help us to know that there is more to this life than just this life. It is not that you should stop working hard or stop learning or stop enjoying life. You just invite God into those things. You ask God to use your work. And you begin to see what he does. You invite God into your study. And you see how God stretches you. You let God be a part of your enjoyment. And you'll have deeper satisfaction than you've ever had before. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, Jesus said that there is a way to find life. It's only through him. It is only through him. And this is the life that Jesus is offering you. Jesus is inviting you to this life. And here's what I want to do. I want to give the opportunity for some of you to respond to that invitation of Jesus. That invitation where he says, if you want to find life, it's found through me. But it's only found when you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's when you tr truly find life. So I want to give an opportunity for some of you to respond to Jesus, to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, to finally say yes to him to stop chasing after all of that other stuff and start chasing after Jesus. 
And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm just going to ask that you just bow your heads. And, and if this is you, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to help you take that step. And maybe for you, it's just saying, okay, I have chased after all of these other things, and I'm tired. Jesus says, I have come to bring you life and life abundantly. Life to the full. And so I just want to invite you just to repeat these words after me or put them in your own words. And you can just do this between you and God. Just say this. Just say, God, I am done chasing after other things. I am ready to chase after Jesus and Jesus alone. I am surrendering my life to him. I'm accepting Jesus as my personal Lord and my personal Savior. If you just prayed that prayer, would you let us know? We want to help you in this journey. In front of you, there is a, there's a card that says, I have decided. And that just means I've decided to follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you to, to fill that out. And maybe take it to the commons. We have people who are ready to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. Or just give it to one of our volunteers. Or put it in the offering boxes and we'll have a pastor follow up with you this week. But your next step, it's baptism. Baptism is the step that just says, God, I'm all in. I am all in. I am giving all of me to all of you. I'm giving my life to you. Let's just pray together. God, thank you for these incredible words that have been preserved for 3,000 years. And God, what Solomon chased after is what so many of us have chased after. And God, the conclusion is, is that without you, all of that stuff is meaningless. And so God, today we are collectively saying that we want to chase after you. We want to chase after the life that you offer. We want to chase after everything that you have for us. Because we know that when we do that, that is when we will finally be satisfied. It's when we will truly find happiness. So Jesus, we surrender to you. We surrender all of us to all of you. Would you take our lives? And we pray this in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus. Amen.